Welcome to Indigenous Faith with Craig and LaDonna Smith. For the next 30 minutes, we invite you to join Craig and LaDonna as they open God's Word and help Indigenous followers of Jesus Christ learn how to live a biblically healthy life in the context of their culture and tribal traditions. Craig is a member of the White Earth Band of Ojibwe Indians from northern Minnesota and is an author, public speaker, and gospel singer. LaDonna is from the Navajo Nation from the American Southwest. She is also a gifted singer and writer and a deeply committed student of God's Word. Together, they have served Christ for over four decades in a ministry that has taken them to indigenous people all across North America and to a dozen countries around the world. Once again, thank you for joining us today for this week's edition of Indigenous Faith. And now, get ready to take a journey with Craig and LaDonna into God's Word to see what he has to say about living out an indigenous faith that helps us all live lives that please him and gives us power for victorious Christian living. This is LaDonna Smith. Craig and I add a welcome to you to this edition of Indigenous Faith. As you will hear us affirm in a lot of these podcasts, context is so very important. It helps a listener better understand what we're trying to say. In that we are new to many of our listeners, we want to share with you some of our history that not only gives good context, but has led us to where we are today. So Craig, how are we going to do that? Well, Adana, first of all, I, I think it's important for our listeners to understand that this broadcast isn't about us. It's all about the Lord. It's all about His kingdom. And it's all about the building and strengthening of His church. You know, so much of our life and ministry has been impacted through what we affectionately call our little home church. You know, over the next few editions of Indigenous Faith, we're going to be sharing a message that I preached in late 2020 and it's called To the Other Towns Also. LaDonna, what an amazing story it is. And once people know this story, they're going to know how much better to understand our story and how we came to the establishment of this brand new Indigenous Faith Podcast. Yes, so let's go to the podium now as Craig begins to unpackage this message to the other towns also. I want to share a message this morning entitled, The Other Towns Also. And the verse that I'm introducing the message with is found in Deuteronomy 8, uh, chap- uh, chapter 8, verse, the first part of verse 2. You shall remember all the way which the Lord your God has led you. You shall remember. Let's not forget. Let's not forget the way God has led you, the way He's led me, the way He's led us, the way He's leading your family. And those stories need to be conveyed down to the next generations if we're going to see a godly heritage continue on after we're gone. And that's an important thing. And that's what I want to share with you uh, this morning, a message on my heart. It's kind of a missions message, which is uh, appropriate, I think, for two days after Christmas. And I'll explain why in just a minute. But uh, I just want to start by telling you the the genesis of of the message, how it began, as, as the Lord laid it upon my heart to share this story. A couple of years ago, uh, LaDonna and I were doing research for a new book we wrote uh, titled, It's a Beautiful Thing. It's a book that celebrates the power and potential of family-based ministry. 
as we took a deep dive into our own family ministry history, birthed out of the planting of our little home church, Cass Lake Alliance Church, we were blown away by the stories, history, and the great number of lives that were impacted and continue to be impacted uh, by the missionary work of the Christian and Missionary Alliance where we grew up on the Leech Lake Indian Reservation in northern Minnesota. The land of blonde hair and blue ears. <laughs> Not blue eyes, blue ears, because of 40 below, uh, you, know, you know what happens to your ears. But anyway, you know, Jesus was a storyteller. Our Native American tradition is similar in nature as we are an oral people passing down the traditions and stories through similar storytelling fashion. So how about a little bit of Ojibwe storytelling this morning? I'd like to think of it as another Christmas story, or maybe think of it this way as an extension, a continuation of the Christmas story, because in reality, had Christ not come as a babe 2,000 years ago, this story would never have happened. It's amazing in several different ways. First of all, it's a great missions story. At the end of the message, I'm going to update you as how God continues to use LaDonna and I in our ministry, Tribal Rescue Ministries, to reach, teach, and equip indigenous people with the gospel. I can't pass up an opportunity to share a missions moment with the church we love and partner with. That'll happen in a little bit. But for now, I bring to you this great mission story because it's so closely connected with the Christmas story. Two short days ago, we celebrated the birth of baby Jesus. The message today gives a clear and compelling reason as to why he came and why we celebrate with such joy and enthusiasm today. He was born to die. He was born to pay a penalty for your sin and my sin. And he came not just for the wealthy, but he came for the poor. He came for the haves and the have-nots, for those who are looked up to, and those, yes, who are looked down upon. That's why Jesus came. That's why we celebrate, and that's why around here, Jesus' last command is still this church's first concern. The final command was given by Jesus in his last words to the church. These are the words he spoke just before he was caught up to heaven. It's recorded for us in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. Jesus said this to his church. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses in both Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria. And even to the remotest part of the earth putting the puzzle piece together of the Great Commission. It starts in in Jerusalem, in in actual city of Jerusalem and Israel. But he said it also needs to go to the province, to what we would call the state. It's like Phoenix. And it also needs to go to Arizona. And then he says it needs to go to Samaria. Within Arizona, perhaps there are those of other cultures. Do you know that in the state of Arizona, we have 21 Indian reservations. We have 21 different tribes of native people here in this state alone. That's the Samaritan part. And then to the uttermost part of the earth. And you know, in the biblical geography, in the biblical actual history and geography of the Great Commission, it began in Jerusalem. 
It went out to the province Jerusalem was in. Then it crossed cultures in the region right around it. And then it went to the uttermost part of the earth. And you know, as I calculated it, I found something very interesting that affects us right here at NCC. You cannot get much further from Jerusalem than 16615 North 43rd Avenue, Phoenix, Arizona. Do you realize we are the uttermost part, uttermost part of the earth? We are the, old, we are the mission field way over there where all the heathens live. How many know America is full of a lot of heathens? <laughs> it really is. This is the uttermost part of the earth. So in any way you look at it, we're in a mission. We're on a mission. We're to fulfill Christ's great commission. It's not only a mission story, it's a great church planting story. Because a church was planted, new ministries and ministry equipping sprang up for both new believers and for up-and-coming ministry workers who cut their ministry teeth in my little home church. Third, it's a great small church story. For, it is these kinds of churches that fill the world with the light of the gospel who may not think much can happen through their itty-bitty church made up of only us itty-bitty few who more than often come from the other side of the tracks. You know, most churches are made up of that kind of composite. We live in a fashionable, urban, suburban environment. We've got wealthy, we have all the way to the poor in, in, a, in a city like this, but oftentimes in, 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 in out-of-the-way places, you have a lot of hurt and a lot of pain. And sometimes when churches are built and planted in those kind of environments, they're limited in what they can do, not because God is not willing to use them, but because they think God doesn't want to or is able to use them. But this is a great small church story this morning that I want to share with you. Maybe that's why Moses instructed Israel of old to remember all the way which the Lord your God has led you. Remembering takes intentionality. Remembering helps us not to forget how God has led through our lives. And that's a very important thing. So what I want to do this morning <clears throat> is open up the window of discovery to how God has used a small, seemingly insignificant Native American church plant in a region that can only be described as unassuming and of little importance for His glory, for His honor, and for His purposes. This story starts with an experience I had round about this time, about two years ago. I was sitting at Payways, 67th and the 101, right by AJ's. How many of you know where I'm talking about? Have you all been there? As I was having lunch one day, I overheard the conversation of two millennial-aged big city ministers at the next table as they were discussing their vision and plans for their own self-described hugely successful church going into 2018. Comments were made back and forth such as, don't forget now, in all we do, we need to get the biggest bang for our buck. They said that as they were speaking of the church's ministries and initiatives they were planning. Markers of success were easily and eagerly discussed, including hitting really big budget goals, how big of crowds they could draw in each of their churches, impressing the leadership up the denominational food chain, 
was another high on their list of desired outcomes for the year. And it left me with an ache in my spirit that Christ's church is being reduced merely to just another human organization with corporate goals and outcomes utilizing primarily human success filters as its markers. A prosperity of size, income, impressing peers seem to be replacing Scripture's perspective of what success is. In response to this somewhat nauseating lunch, I'd like to have us look at an important passage of Scripture this morning out of Luke's Gospel, chapter 4. You can turn there with me if you'd like. I believe we also have it on the screen. In Luke 4, I want to start reading in verse 38. This is an interesting day in the life of our Savior. It says this, Jesus left the synagogue, went to the home of Simon. Now Simon's mother-in-law was suffering from a high fever, and they asked Jesus to help her. So he bent over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her. And she got up at once and began to wait on them. At sunset, the people brought to Jesus all who had various kinds of sickness, and laying his hand on each one of them, he healed them. Moreover, demons came out of many people shouting, You are the Son of God. But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because they knew he was the Messiah. Look at this. At daybreak, Jesus went out to a solitary place. The people were looking for him, and when they came to where he was, they tried to keep him from leaving them. And then he says this, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns also. That's why I was sent. That's why I was sent. So think of it. He starts his day in Capernaum in the synagogue by delivering a man from demonic activity. That in itself is enough for a day. From there, the news spreads, and he arrives at the home of Simon's mother-in-law, who is struck with a horrible fever. And by the end of the day, the crowds are pushing into the home with people suffering from every kind of sickness and disease, more demonic manifestations, and he's healing and delivering them all. Now, you talk about instantaneous success. That's the kind of success these two lunching pastors at the next table could only dream of. No doubt his ministry went well through the night. And the scripture says by daybreak he went out to a solitary place. No doubt to catch his breath, to rest, to pray. Guess what? The crowds found him. They hounded him. And they were wanting even more out of him. This would be every church planter's dream of success. Think of the mega church they could build in Capernaum if they could just ride this wave of success. But Jesus makes a move that human reasoning would describe as ludicrous at best when he leaves all that success behind and he goes to proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns also. Why? Because that is why I was sent, he said. The implication of the other towns is that these are the places nobody wants to go to. Who would want to go there? But Jesus did. Why? Because that's why I was sent, he said. Now, I come to my faith in Christ, to my ministry, my over 40 years of serving the Lord, from what can only be described as one of those other towns also. 
like the ones Jesus left the crowds and human success for, my little home church is alive and well today because the Christian and Missionary Alliance with great faith chose to go to the other towns to preach the gospel and plant churches. Little old Cass Lake, Minnesota is similar to Nazareth in reputation. Can anything good come out of Cass Lake? I wonder sometimes if most Cass Lakers even think that, you know, because I've grown up there. I know the men mentality. Nothing good can come out of this little beat-up town. But in the late 1920s, the Alliance sent the very first missionaries to pioneer the work in northern Minnesota. Reverend Floyd Pollock and his family planted the church as missionaries to the Ojibwe people. They planted this church as missionaries to my tribe, the Ojibwe people. Cass Lake Alliance Church was founded around 1931. In 1968, we had built a new sanctuary building. We were in that old building you saw that brief moment for many years. I remember growing up in that beat-up old uh, church there. But we had a nice new building in 1968. In the dedication ceremony program for this new building, it rehearsed a bit of the history of the work there and the efforts of, of the founding missionaries, uh, the uh, Pollocks. And it said this, that my grandparents, Louis and Irene Smith, <clears throat> that's my grandma and grandpa, were some of the very first Ojibwe Indians to come to know Jesus Christ. And they came to Christ through Reverend Pollock's min ministry. My grandparents met at a government boarding school in Toma, Wisconsin. Since the mid-1800s, it was a policy of the United States government to remove the children forcibly, take the children from their families and send them to these government-run boarding schools where the language was taken out and the they were forced to assimilate and, and so on. And many of the native people came away from that boarding school experience, including my grandparents, broken. My grandfather was a violent alcoholic. He turned his rage uh, outwardly because of what he experienced, the beatings, the tortures. My grandmother, all they knew going in there was Ojibwe language. They were beaten if they were caught speaking the language at these governments. That's a sad part of American history. Nonetheless, it's a part that of even our family history. But my grandparents came to Christ through Pollock's ministry. Even the hardest people in the out-of-the-way places can be rescued by the saving work of Jesus Christ. We must continue to proclaim the good news of the gospel in the other towns also because that's why Jesus was sent. And from the beginning, Catholic Alliance Church was committed to the development and encouragement of families serving the Lord, finding meaningful ways as families to serve the Lord together. That's something we celebrate and continue to see happening even to this day. There was other missionaries like a man named William Christie Jr. who joined the Pollocks. And Brother Christie discipled my grandparents. They encouraged them to use their music gifts to help spread the gospel. The original Smith family quartet, music quartet in my family, consisting of my dad and his sister Barb and my grandma and grandpa. They would travel to the wild rice camps, to the hunting camps, fishing camps, the seasonal encampments of our people, and they would sing the gospel in the Ojibwe language. And my grandfather would preach the gospel to our people in the language that the government tried to beat out of him. 
God, God preserved it in them, and they continued to share the gospel. They helped carry the gospel even by radio to Ojibwe communities in both the United States and Canada for decades through a radio program called the Chippewa Bible Broadcast. My grandpa joined other Ojibwe leaders in preaching duties for these weekly broadcasts, and the broadcast singers ministered the gospel and music. Through our little home church, another Native American Ojibwe leader, Selim Ross, made Alliance history by becoming the very first ordained Native American worker in the Christian Missionary Alliance. And uh, joining the other pastors in pastoring our little home church uh, when... Uh, in those, in those early years. Selim is a very quiet man. Quiet, mannered, hardly a peep out of him, gentle. But I'll tell you, when he got up to preach, he proclaimed it with great power and anointing of the Spirit of God upon him. One of the things I remember as a kid growing up, his grandson Lenny and I, uh, uh, Lenny and I we were good buddies, and, and Lenny would often invite me to go with, with, with himself and his grandma and grandpa to Duluth, to the arena in uh, Duluth Arena to watch the all-star wrestlers. <laughs> the old professional wrestlers, a WWE now, you know, kind of thing. Well, let me tell you, they had a WWE way back then. They had the Crusher. They had Dr. X, and, and, and they had uh, Rene Goulet, the Flying Frenchman. And, and I'll tell you, this mild-mannered couple, Selim and Adeline, you, would have see, you should have seen them in the crowd. They would be up hollering and yelling at those wrestlers and so on. And, and they, they'd blow it all off, I guess, right there in the wrestling, wrestling ring. It seemed like Selim sometime wanted to jump in and help them, you know, that kind of thing. And you get, in the va- get back in the, in the station wagon they had, Lenny and I went in the back, and they quieted down. And then the rest of the time, there was, there was quiet-mannered Selim. That's a great memory I have as I think back. And in our family, the faithfulness of my grandparents who served God, raising my dad and his sister uh, to sing and, and be involved in music ministry, it paved the way for my dad to come to Christ at the age of 13, subsequently attended St. Paul Bible College. He used his music gift as he sang as the featured soloist of their choral club in the early 1950s. And this wasn't just some little choral club. They literally toured the country. And they packed out concert halls all around the country. And many people were exposed to the gospel through that amazing ministry that they had. The St. Paul Bible College Choral Club. Dad was the featured soloist. And then our generation showed up and we followed along in our own music ministry and preaching ministry over these many generations, or or many decades, I mean. And it continues even, even to this day. LaDonna and I rejoice that our children and grandchildren continue to serve the Lord, some of them leading worship in their home churches, sharing Christ among their peers. We thank God that through their faithfulness, through the faithfulness of going to the other towns also, five generations of one Native American family have been impacted by the gospel. That's all the time we have today for part one of this message. You will not want to miss the upcoming episodes to learn more about how God has used our small Native American church plant to impact not only our community, but the world as well. This story only gets better. So until next time, Craig and I thank you for joining us on the Indigenous Faith Broadcast.
Thank you for joining Craig and LaDonna Smith and the Indigenous Faith Podcast. We trust today's episode has been an encouragement to you and helpful to you as you grow in faith as a follower of Jesus Christ. You can subscribe to this weekly broadcast and receive notifications when the next episodes are available. Simply follow the prompts on the tribalrescue.com website or the podcast platform you're using to sign up today. Don't forget to visit the Smiths website, tribalrescue.com, to learn more about the Smiths and Tribal Rescue Ministries. Be sure to visit their online store, where you can find more indigenous faith resources, including Craig's six-part DVD video series, and his six-part audio CD version of the same teaching. Also, Craig takes you deeper into the scriptures in his recently released Indigenous Faith paperback book, which will help you learn the secrets to a strong Indigenous faith. All these resources, and other great books authored by Craig and LaDonna, can be accessed at their online store when you visit tribalrescue.com. The Smiths are dependent on the financial support of those who are benefiting from their teaching, preaching, and music ministry. Craig and LaDonna would like to ask you to consider supporting this ministry through your online giving, which you can easily and safely do on the tribalrescue.com website as well. You can also make your gift recurring if you so desire. If you'd like to support Craig and LaDonna, it will help them keep this podcast on the air, help them produce more books and resources, and enable them to continue sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ among people groups around the world. We'll see you next week, dear friends, on another edition of the Indigenous Faith Podcast. Until then, may the Lord richly bless you as you live out your own God-honoring, and biblically-based, indigenous faith.